Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Arrow Man in Stockholm podcast. It's the election special. I really wanted to do those 50 podcasts from 50 states in 50 days and people just wouldn't let me do it, but we're here anyway. And I've been trying to, I was wondering how I was going to sort of attack this because I wanted to do a podcast about it, but I just didn't know how to do it. And then uh, my good friend, Anya O'Neill arrived uh, over in Los Angeles and she just moved over here in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an election, in the middle of making history, she just up sticks and moved to California. And then on the East Coast, my other good friend, Stephanie Brumsey, a formerly, former colleague of mine uh, from the Reuters News Agency, is over there. Also, Vice President of the New York Women's uh, News Women's Association, if I'm not mistaken. Did I say that right? Pretty much. She's nodding there, so that's good. News Women's Club of New York. But News Women's Club of New York. Close enough. Details, details. We've got to get the details right. And so I really wanted to ask... The small uh, things. It's the small things in life. You know, we're all about the details of Reuters as well. Um, I really want to ask these two fantastic women about their very, very differing experiences. And I'm actually going to go to Anya first, because Anya, you walked into this absolute chaos of an election. What's it been like to sit there in Los Angeles and see the results coming in? I know it's only in your intro when you're like, so on you moved to Los Angeles in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an election. And I was thinking, yeah, I know I did. I'm actually mad. Um, <laughs> so I suppose even the whole journey to get here was insane anyway. Like I had to go to Mexico for two weeks, then, you know, actually like jump the wall and this kind of thing, try to talk my way in. So uh, eventually got here and arrived just on Friday night. So of course, election, everything going to be kicking off on Tuesday. Um, spent my few days just kind of settling in but also just kind of gauging the atmosphere because you know look you're seeing on the news it looks terrible things are boarded up people are anxious and you know obviously people are wondering like what way is this going to go although people are are confident they're also quite worried because you know what happened in 2016 so for me i definitely felt the air in california was optimistic hopeful i would say um, you know, was was going to kind of a couple of local businesses just to, you know, get, gauge the area myself, find out where I was, new 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 house and stuff. And um, I definitely found that it was the first thing that they were talking about. Like straight away, they were like, oh, you came from Ireland. So like, what are they saying about the election over there? Like, what do you guys say? You know, they just wanted to know kind of maybe an outside perspective as well. So um, definitely felt just a bit of hope in the air, really just people just wanting to get the better result um, after everything that happened. And even I have so many friends over here, all American, and even for them, just this last while, it's like that they could cope with the pandemic and they could get through it. They're supporting each other. But then when it comes to the election and the thought of it not going the way a lot of people would maybe want it to go, was really what what kind of scared them and what was in their mind as that was that was the trouble that they were going through at the moment that was the hassle for them for sure um, Stephanie, let's cast our mind back four years. Uh, polling day was on a Tuesday, as it regularly is, and I arrived into John F. Kennedy Airport, and I went straight to the Midtown Hilton Hotel in Manhattan, and Donald Trump was a few floors above me. 
and in the late afternoon, around about four o'clock, as people started coming down in the elevators and they were saying, oh, we fought the good fight, but this is probably over. And I sat there with a Swedish journalist colleague called Robert Lowell and his photographer, a guy called Punta Sobe. And we, we then saw the Florida started to go Trump's direction. And we saw the people go back into the lobby and up in the elevators. And I, if I remember rightly, I can't remember if you were working that night, but I remember going out to Times Square because we used to do a lot of stuff on Facebook Live because Facebook were paying Reuters a huge amount of money to do it at the time. And I went down there and I started broadcasting straight away because, you know, all that was left, like it was like a funeral home, right? Manhattan was like this big funeral home. And I was trying to interview people and all that was left was people that had voted for Trump. And it really was the strangest place I've ever been. What was your memory of that night to start off with? So um, I was in Florida. I was part of That's three right. woman <laughs> team um, on the ground in Florida. Um, we, uh, we spent the day canvassing to speak to Latinos. Um, you know, we were really interested in Latino vote and we drove around and it was really interesting because um, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> I knew Trump was going to be elected. <laughs> I, I, I um, had aspirations for a woman president. You know, like what an what an amazing thing for our country and the history of the uh, of our country to elect a woman into the highest office in the land. But I, as a black woman, just lived lived a different different experience than my uh, Reuters co-workers and I was sure that Trump was going to be elected and uh, we were talking to people on the ground in uh, Florida and they it, it was a lot different than what we were expecting um, or rather not so much what I was expecting but <laughs> what Reuters as a whole was expecting um, expecting you know all these people to vote for Clinton uh, fast forward uh, it became very clear that Florida had gone for Trump so we go back to uh, Little Havana as we had had lunch at Marseille uh, no and not Marseille at Versailles mm -hmm. which is in Little Havana um, very famous Cuban restaurant and the Cubans in the streets were celebrating cars zipping back and forth front, back and forth with uh, Trump flags, um, music playing, firecrackers going, uh, people dancing in front of the restaurant. Um, and I just remember, I mean, it might be the clearest memory that I have uh, of election night, just like, you know, getting myself together to get some interviews on camera with these people. Um, I speak very, very little Spanish, but like enough to have a conversation if I needed to in Spanish. Won't be good, my accent sucks. <laughs> but uh, I remember having conversations with these people and um, the, 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 the cognitive dissonance was, was so, it is rang so clearly in those interviews. Um, women that I spoke to, I mean, one woman I spoke to, I remember um, I asked her if she voted for Trump. It was very obvious that she did. Um, she had like a Trump shirt on. She was like waving the American flag. And I was like, did you vote for Trump? I was like, she, didn't you see the Access Hollywood that came out, you know, a week or two ago? I don't remember what, when that came out. Uh, are you not concerned about his record with women? <laughs> she tells me, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but this is almost dead on. 
And she says, um, so what? He grabbed some woman by the, he can grab me by the, when you're a woman, you're used to these things. Yeah. Oh, yay. And I was like, I'm not used to these things. I don't want that. I don't want to be used <laughs> um, to these things. But you know? I don't want that. But um, it was like, it was a very surreal night. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it, it was, it was really, really interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I, I've had the opportunity to cover both Obama elections, Obama, the first Obama election when I was still in college, um, and then uh, Trump's election in 2016. And uh, it was definitely an experience that I won't forget anytime soon. Uh, Anya, obviously you're sort of new to the parish there, as we would say in Ireland. So what has it been like when you talk about these interactions that you've had with local business owners, with people that you meet on the street, the people maybe are renting your lovely house off? Um, you're, you're a news person, right? You're the kind of person who goes, okay, this is a story that I can tell. What stories are they telling you? What are the themes that recur? What things are they worried about? What are their aspirations on a night like tonight when votes are still being counted? Well, for me, I think the aspect I was coming at it from was I'm, because I work in TV and film, for me, it's always more, more about the people. And like you said, the story, like I want to not necessarily know what, like, you know, the news that we're saying, what journalists thought. I just wanted the people, them individual, like you said, the shop owner, the person you're renting your house off. So the day I went out to get my social security was the day of the election, funnily enough. So I went in, I had an appointment with a whole lot. And I went into, there were just two co-workers there. And um, there was a lovely Latino guy that I had the best one would ever spirit together. We were having so much fun. And then there was a black man serving me. And again, we were having a chat all about Ireland, you know. So on the wall, obviously you have Mike Pence and Donald Trump up on any kind of governmental buildings over here, which is a big thing. You don't see uh, Michal Martin or uh, Leo Rucker <laughs> hanging around the wall anywhere in, uh, in Ireland. But, um, lastly, they want to see. That's like, exactly. And yeah, the social welfare picture, Michal Martin, you know. So um, I was there anyway, getting um, my social security, and I was looking, and I was like, God, like, they just look, you know, it's that white man, and here I was in the social security office, talking to, like, none of us were represented up on that wall, you know, me, the immigrant coming in, you know, but it was just, it was completely insane, and the guy that was serving me, he literally looked at the wall and rolled his eyes, and he was like, hopefully, though, it's going to change, yeah. and then just picture is going to change and I was like well look hopefully that you know that was my first kind of you know out there in the public and then I went to do my grocery shopping still had no food in the fridge of course that just I think a bit of wine or something was there you know yeah sounds um, about right yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, I was like right I actually need food now so I went off uh, did a grocery shop and they were boarding up absolutely everything so for me that was so interesting because there was almost this sense and Philip, you'll know this, you know on Patrick's Day, just before the parade and all starts in town and city centre, there's like this calm before the madness, but it's kind of like a good kind of calm as well, but you can just sense the atmosphere, like I could feel on my skin. Yeah, something's going to happen here. Something is going to happen. And you know what I noticed as well? A lot of people were just buying drinks. So again, I was like, okay, this is like a thing. People were just getting in supplies and getting in, you know. So it just felt like that kind of madness. So then I went down to Hollywood uh, Boulevard purposely just because I wanted to see what that was going to be like. Obviously, that's the you know, main kind of tourist place. I was just going there literally just to see what it was like. Again, it was all boarded up, but everywhere was open. So you could go into these stores, but they were all boarded up. You know, you can get access in and out. And I went into a couple of souvenir shops because I, I just actually wanted to buy, you know, something that said like election 2020 or, yeah. or vote, just something kind of a bit of memorabilia, I guess, to have. 
every single souvenir shop I went into, all they had left was Trump masks or Trump t-shirts because everyone had bought all the Biden stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. That's California yeah. all over, yeah? yeah? Exactly. That's it. Look, if you're what, like, I think, like, you won, like, the, the whole 55 electoral votes, obviously, within, like, you know, a matter of hours, we knew they're California and it's a blue state anyway. So, um, yeah, I guess, just speaking to everyone, I do sense that there's a disappointment that this still hasn't, we haven't got a result yet. Still counting votes. Yeah. It, it's like how a lot of people here, so again, I'm just speaking for a lot of, I guess, Democrats that I'm speaking to are so flabbergasted that this is literally still going on. There's still counting going on and that Biden didn't win by a landslide. And that I think shows, as an outsider, I'm looking, man, is this country really that divisive, you know? Well, that, that's an interesting one because one of the things that struck me in the pandemic, um, like I started listening to a lot of, I can't concentrate on reading book books, like physical books. So I started listening to a lot of audio books and I went back to this extremely long series about the American Civil War. And it's like 24 hours it takes to, to listen to the whole book. But there's so much of the legislation, there's so much of, of you know, what America is rooted in and what it has become is rooted in that time. And one of those things is the Electoral College. Now, Stephanie, I don't know if you're an expert on it, but I was looking at the statistics this evening, right? And we'll say that Biden has 72, which just come up on the TV, 72,693,000 votes. Trump has 68,818,000. So he's over three and a half million more votes. And yet this is still close. Steph, can you just explain, you know, for the uninitiated, about, basically about the racist roots of the Electoral College and what it does to the presidential elections every four years? So um, you you'll have to fact check me check check me Not at several all. elections, <laughs> <laughs> but for the last several elections, Democrat the Democratic candidate has won the popular vote, but not the pre, but not always the presidency. So Clinton won the popular vote, not the presidency. Obama won the popular vote both times, definitely the presidency. Mm. Prior to that, Bush not the popular vote, but the presidency. Um, and it's all rooted in the Electoral College. Now, the Electoral College has several different roots. Um, it's supposed to give rural areas of America the same amount of power um, when electing a president as coastal cities, right? Um, it was devised, you know, during the slavery era of America um, because so many of these areas areas were underpopulated because underpopulated by white male educate, uh, um, eligible voters because they had such a high slave population. Mm. Um, so in order to give them more power, here we are with the electoral college. Has it, why hasn't it been phased out? Well, there was an actual, there was a case in the 60s being made to phase the electoral college. Um, and oddly enough, segregationists <laughs> um, stopped that from happening. Yeah. Um, it is outdated. It is no longer needed. If you live in a country where um, millions more people vote for one candidate over the other, and they still lose because an obscure town in Wisconsin has decided to vote for the other candidate, and their their votes count 50 times more than the average vote in New York, you have a problem. Mm. Um, and it's something that we bring up every single election day, 
We have yet to change it, mostly because it swings in the favor of one party over the other. Hmm. Um, and, it, you know, I'm sure it'd be bedlam if we, if we did indeed change it, because in the messaging that we need to appeal to, the every, to, to the every American, as opposed to just those swing states, usually Michigan, which I'm sure you've heard of now, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, um, Arizona, and it, it's, those, those, those would no longer be quite as important. And instead, you would need to convince all Americans that you should be the main choice. It's, um, it's quite fun. <laughs> yeah. um, and by fun, I'm being completely sarcastic. It's not oh, I, I get that right um, here. I see that. But uh, one of the things that struck me as being not weird, but it will take, um, I've been to Las Vegas a lot, obviously covering fights and that kind of thing. And I've always found it fascinating because that American frontier spirit that we all grew up reading about in Ireland, you know, when you see sort of cowboy movies and that, and you realize that, you know, what they essentially were was propaganda now. But 70% of the votes in the state of Nevada, which is huge, okay? When you look at it in terms of, it's massive. 70% of them come from Clark County, which is where the city of Las Vegas is, right? 70%. So you take in Reno, uh, all the, no, that's like 30% along with the rest of the state. And there's also that thing of, there's no people living in much of, of Nevada. There's no people living in much of Arizona. And if you've ever been there, you'll know why. It's a fucking desert, right? And yet these places still have a huge... That's what we're waiting yeah. on. I'm sitting here with CNN in the background. Uh, Nevada is still not called for anybody. Arizona is still not called for anybody, not by CNN. I think it's Georgia and North Carolina, the other two that I can see on the TV there, and Pennsylvania. So, Oh, sorry, yeah, Georgia and Pennsylvania. Yeah? Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. Um, it, it and honestly, North Carolina. North, North Carolina as well, yes. Yeah, so there's five states left. Anya, something struck me there that I wanted to ask you about. What was your experience of immigration like when you arrived in Los Angeles from, or no, you didn't arrive in Los Angeles. Did you arrive in Los Angeles from Mexico? I did, from Mexico. Um, so look, I can, I can tell, I know from my experience, and I can say this because I know mine is a lot different because I go up and I'm like the blonde Irish. So it's mm. like, oh, where are you from? Oh my God, you're like, they're, they're so happy to chat to me. Yeah. But when I was in the queue, there was people in front of me that were being grilled, you know, uh, any person of colour in front of me was being stopped and being grilled. Whereas I guess I found that when I went up, I was kind of like, you know, oh, where are you from in Ireland? Oh, you know, my great grandfather is from Ireland. We love Irish, you know. And he actually said to me, welcome home and put the stamp on my passport. And I know that that's, I'm coming through. The, you know the privilege practically yep. has to get through 100 percent and so i can only say what it's like for, from as i said a point of privilege but also being able to witness them what it was like with people before because i was getting nervous i was like oh my god I, this guy is stopping these people they, they've been there a long time i was like i'm not going to get in like you know i was just thinking you're thinking the worst in that line mm. like you know at, at one point i was sweating and i was like i feel like i've murdered someone or something the way i'm just feeling that kind of nervousness and but just because of the experience of people in front of me going ahead and, and what I witnessed with them was just very different than when I walked up, you know, couldn't be nicer, couldn't be happier to let me in and, and let me see in the door for sure. It's such a huge difference in experience because as white Irish people going over there and waving that passport, and I remember going to one guy who was quite aggressive with me to begin with, and then when he was done with me, I was over there for a Conor McGregor fight, and he said to me as I was leaving, he said, I hope our boy wins. You know, so that was his thing. So because sometimes they'll play the hard, the hard guy, you know, just to make sure they get the right answers to their questions. But a couple of years ago, just after Trump was elected, uh, I think it was the start of 2017, I went to Los Angeles to do a radio documentary about a kid who was going to, um, he was going to have a trial for LA Galaxy, the soccer club there. And his parents were born in Iraq. 
right? So if you remember the end of January, just as Trump took office there, you remember the Muslim ban that came in? That came in the day after we landed, right? And trying to get into the country then, I'd walked up there so many times. I'd done it in Newark and New Jersey. I'd done it in upstate New York. I'd done it in JFK. I've been doing it for years. And I walked up there. And for the most part, Anya, my experience was like your experience. But as soon as I walked up there with a tattooed Kurdish kid from Hoosby in northern Stockholm, we had problems. Right? And if we had arrived 20, 24 hours later after that, we weren't getting in. There was going to be no documentary. That was it. We were done. You know? And it was just, like, as I say, it's just important to recognize the privilege that we walk into that country with. And you know, there's a certain amount of pain in that and saying that to somebody like Stephanie, because the next thing that I want to ask you, Steph, was what has your experience of these last four years been? Because I know you. I know where you are sort of politically. I know the things that you're interested in. I know the Trump government is not really your, your gig. Right? Uh, what's it been like to live under that and to see the things that have happened to African-American people in, in the, the time of that presidency? Yeah, um, you know, it's been really, really interesting um, being a black female journalist. Um, three of three of things, three things that don't um, necessarily play well <laughs> during the Trump administration. Um, um, I can speak about um, I can speak about how um, interesting being a journalist, me being all of that. Um, has been from day one. So um, I have like this great story of, it's not great, it's actually quite horrifying, but um, I have this story of covering the inauguration for um, Trump in 2016. Still working for Reuters. I was placed um, right at the steps of the Capitol. Um, and I was in front of the barricades where Trump fans you know, stood, you know, five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, lining up to um, see him sworn in as president. Um, and I was there at that time too. I think I arrived at 3.30 in the morning because you have to be there super early. Mm. It's cold, it's dark, and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can feel the excitement in the air for the amount of people that are present. And, you know, you, you, you do your job. Um, and, uh, we're there, the sun is finally up. There are um, people, you know, lining the, lining the barrier um, to watch the ceremony. And I'm walking around interviewing his, or attempting to interview uh, his supporters. And uh, some of them outright, I'm not speaking to your fake news, um, which is okay, cool. Um, some people, um, there was this one man in particular who was very adamant about trying to like trip me up with like a fake news agenda, asking me all these questions um, that I was answering quite honestly. I mean, this is my job and I'm, you know, the public is supposed to hold us to account. And so I was doing what I could. Um, and he got very frustrated and just ended up walking away from me. Um, some people were fine and gave me these interviews. There was this one gentleman who, um, as I got closer and closer to him, he was just so agitated. Um, uh, you know, started shouting uh, just crazy rhetoric. And by the and um, maybe I was within, you know, ten feet of him speaking to someone else, and. Uh, we had to stop the interview because, I mean, obviously it's all on camera, I'm taping it on my phone, 
um, we had to stop the interview because the air, the, 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 the military um, people who were standing as guards um, on the lines, they don't, they don't move. They're like no. the, think of like um, the soldiers that stand outside the Oval Office. They stand there, they're at attention and they don't move unless there's a threat. <laughs> and these two, these two military men like jump out of attention and um, pull this man out of the crowd because by this point, he was essentially foaming at the mouth, screaming how he was going to, I mean, you can bleep this out if you need to, but screaming how he was going to um, kill me, um, burn and rape my body <laughs> and, um, and how we all deserved it because I was an N word and I was a B word. And there was just like this crazy amount of just vitriol that was coming out of him. And, um, and like, and while that is extremely disturbing, what disturbed me more was the lack of reaction of the people that surrounded him. He was surrounded by hundreds of people who clearly heard him, right? Um, and did nothing, who said nothing, right? For someone who had not antagonized this man, who was just doing their job and they just watched, right? And that has, um, you know, and, and, and then of course, you know, you get out of the inauguration that day, there were riots and there, you know, there was tear gas involved. It was not as much as a fun day as I thought it was going to be. But um, I have to say that, that covering the Trump administration after that, with his supporters at all these rallies, interacting just as a, uh, a black woman human, um, as opposed to also journalists, um, has been a lot of that, unfortunately, throughout this administration. Just a lot of, of um, maltreatment uh, um, and um, an inability to really do what it is that I love to do, which is like go after the story. Uh, Reuters ended up taking me out of the field um, for a while after that incident because they were scared, you know, they were scared of my mental health and my safety. Um, they, they, you know, one of the good things about it, you know, they ended up um, instituting and making sure that everyone who worked in, these in our offices were, were, knew that there were uh, mental health resources available, um, you know, because journalists are so targeted. Um, by Trump supporters, but uh, you know, it's been a lot of that. It's been a lot of uh, really interesting, tr really interesting treatment um, by both the Trump administration and their supporters. Um, and you know, this 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 um, unfortunate like hope that we can overcome our different this this hope that we can overcome our differences and remember that we all live, work, and love in the same country um, under the same flag. But this constantly dawning realization that our differences may be insurmountable and wondering like, where, where that puts us next. 
Um, Anya, when you're hearing what Stephanie is saying there, that's something that you and I will never experience uh, to that level. I've experienced violence with reporting, but that's that's nothing compared to, to that kind of thing. Um, what do you think of the future that you've just, you know, you've just kicked off on your path in America now. You've only arrived there last Friday. You're going to build a life for yourself there. What country do you think you're going to be living in, regardless of who wins the presidency, because somebody's going to win it soon enough? You know, What do you expect from the next four or five years in your time there? Yeah, well... That's actually such an interesting question because I found that I've even asked myself that because I was supposed to move here back in March. It took me like about a year and a half to the whole immigration process with my lawyer and that kind of thing. And, you know, just to get over here, like I said, I work in TV and film. So I was like, oh, great. I'll just get on some really cool productions over here. Whereas now, and I think a lot of people are doing this anyway, you're kind of questioning what you're doing with yourself and what you're doing. Like, how are you paying back society? How are you helping society? But like already since I've gotten here, it, instead of say looking up like production jobs, I've actually for some like I've just found myself, and I only noticed it today. I found myself I've been just looking up like local activism, like local, you know, where I can get involved. Like um, I know we have homeless in Ireland, but it's it's completely different over here, you oh, know. California, as yeah. you know, it's it, and that to me just absolutely breaks my heart. So I was looking at these shelters that might need volunteer work, you know. Mm. And, and it's funny because I was doing this and I was thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be here looking for like a job in TV and film, but I'm being pulled towards this. And then it just, and, and you know what, that's what, it, that, that kind of sums up, I think, the world because in 80, as human beings, we want to help each other. We want to do good. Like it's actually, I do believe that there's way more good out there than bad, even as much as there's so much bad in the world. But I mean, there is genuine people out there that, that do want to help and do want to make a difference. So I definitely think, although my my plan, what it was back in March, you know, like I said, Glitzy Glam, maybe going on to a couple of productions, bit of development, um, you know, writing, directing, that kind of thing. Now I'm like, no, no, no. I want to be involved in stuff that is, you know, it's telling a story, it's helping people, it's 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 just doing something, you know, for, for mankind and humankind. And and I really believe that everyone else. It's kind of in, in the same boat. Well, you know, whether they know it themselves or not, but you know that that's what they want. Like people do want to help. And and Stephanie, I might just ask you, did you feel after 2016 that it was almost like the atmosphere changed instantly? Because I'm I'm seeing it now. Like I feel it now, like any tension with any Americans even I met over the last four years or when I was here, there was still this like, oh Trump. As I did find in the last week that I'm here, and even the two weeks I was in Mexico, so there's a lot of Americans there, I just felt that they were hopeful and they were like, oh, well, look, this nightmare is coming to an end. So can I just ask you about that again, just from, from your perspective? I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think the atmosphere has been changing. Um, but I, I think that there's two different atmospheres, right? There is the, um, the atmosphere of everyone who has like, who is concerned about children on the border um, in cages, uh, coronavirus, um, uh, immigrant families coming in. Um, I mean, any of the many issues that are facing our country that can really impact not just them, but people that they know and the way our country looks. And then there are also those people who, um, who um, really embraced Trump and his rhetoric and his uh, policies. And, you know, um, 
oddly or maybe not so oddly there has been like this growing despair and uh hope from both teams right hoping that if the power can shift or stay the same depending on who you are um that things will be okay um and uh, I don't know where we go from there. <laughs> like, I don't know how we meet. I don't know how we meet in the middle there. Um, I, I, you know, we we talk a lot about these things in in you know not in the newsroom, but like in our newsroom chats about you know what happens next. Uh, what happens to these homeless populations, like you were talking about, who can't afford. The, the 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 locations that they have grown up in and now are gentrified out of or or or, or have been coronavirus out of because they are not working and you know literally can't afford the rent and are being evicted what happens next with these people who are suffering from long-term covid effects um uh, that we still don't know how to fix and healthcare in this country is still a mess and what what happens to them where, where do they go what do we do will they be able to work will they be able to experience the fullness of life um, will they ever get over these symptoms what, what happens next with um, policy involving the climate what happens next it's a lot just a lot of questions about what happens next i think that there is hope i think there is plenty of despair and i just don't know come you know whenever we get a result in the next 24 to 72 hours <laughs> what that means for us as a country how we can move forward you know i i live in hope right? I, I live, I am working, my agenda is to be here and to uh, tell the stories of people who are otherwise overlooked. My agenda is to educate people who vote against their self-interest. My agenda is to do the work that my ancestors could only dream of doing, right? Like, I'm like, black American. I'm like descended from slaves American, right? And, you know, my great blah, 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 grandmother of how many generations, you know, couldn't read or write or, you know, keep her husband if the slave owner decided to sell them away or, you know, make or have any agency over their body or mind or any political thought process and here I am you know hundreds of years later um reporting on who the president is going to be and why I mean so 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 while there is all that hope getting back to your question um while there's all that while there's all that despair I do think that there's hope I do think that we can that 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 there is something there. I'm not sure how we pull it all together as a nation, how long it's gonna take, but, you know, or if that means that this nation will be, or if that means that this is the reckoning that this nation needs to 
to cast off the cloak of like their original sin, <laughs> right? Which is, uh, which is horrible mistreatment of people of color, uh, all people of color, Native Americans, uh, uh, African Americans, uh, Latino, the Latino population, Asian Americans with internment camps in World War II, right? Like America has a, <laughs> Muslim, Ameri Muslim Americans. America has a bad history uh, with people of color, um, and maybe this is the, maybe this is the reckoning that we need in order to really figure out that these people, these the, this rainbow coalition of people, are what makes America great, right? Like if we're gonna talk about making America great again, like this is what made America great um, to begin with. So, you know, I live in hope. And yeah. I mean, what, what I mostly miss about the place, because I haven't been there since, I was there in January, and I haven't been back there since, obviously, because of COVID. And one of the things I enjoy most is being with you in Manhattan and talking to you and, and you know, wandering around there and seeing, you know, the Irish bars around Midtown and seeing, you know, the, the Korean Quarter and Chinatown and all the people that you meet from various different places. There was actually two guys who play in a bar in Las Vegas uh, in the Mandalay Bay Hotel. The bar is called Reraw. And they released a movie called This Is My Home, An American Story. And basically they did the 50 States thing. They just toured the whole of America and they, they met people like all of us were talking and people from everywhere you know they were from asia they were from all over the place and they just said exactly the same thing they just want a place where they can raise a family where they can do their thing and where they can just leave something just a little bit better to their children than what they had themselves Anya, a final question for you right if i've got 50 million dollars here you just arrived in america and i want you to tell me one story about america that's going to teach me something i don't know what would that be if you, you say you have $50 million, if I could tell you one thing. I'm joking, so what, right? But if I had $50 million to like, tell you. What can I do with this money? <laughs> she already wants the contract. I've already asked her for the pitch and she's already looking for the contract here. <laughs> something that you don't know personally or something that maybe listeners that... Just, yeah, just something that people wouldn't think of about America that you'd like them to know, that you think would help them understand what's going on there right now. Well, can I just say, definitely, again, someone that has been back and forth to America for many, many years, I hold America very dear in my heart. Like I said, I tried to get a visa. I want to come, I want to live here. I love the people. And the last four years especially, but maybe over time, America does get a bad rap. And I think if I could tell anyone that still how wrong that is, that there's still such amazing people here. Like my neighbours, I literally arrived and I'd say within 20 minutes, they knocked on the door and asked me, like, who I, like do I need help with anything? I went to my local store and they were like asking me, can they get in anything for me? Like, and I'm here a week. So as much as people may think, oh, America is crazy and they're not, oh my God, they're in a different world. America still feels so full of love and still so hopeful and still, like the American dream is still very much alive. And I feel I am, you know, I'm, I'm a version, you know, of it now. Like I'm, I'm kind of able to stand here and say that. It's still, the American dream is still very much alive. You know? Stephanie, is that dream still alive for you as well? I mean, sure. I think I I think I'm like the epitome of what an American dream is, right? Like, I I 
like I should be where I am or what I'm doing, right? <laughs> like just like period. Um, oh, I, I got to stop you there because place, you are right? you are one of the smartest, most talented women I know. So you have every right to be where you are. I can understand what you're saying, what you're saying, but I'm not like, letting <laughs> no, you away with that. Fine. One. Just, look, I just want to listen to Stephanie. Me and you could just close this off. And just, I, I just, to be honest, sorry. Sonia, I'm gonna cut us out. This is just gonna be a Stephanie monologue the whole way through. But oh to, no, no. no but when you mentioned that I mean, you, should, you, sh you shouldn't be where you are, you are in in some ways the embodiment of the American dream. But there's still a few sort of you know hurdles that you will be forced to climb over if you want to get any further than you already have done, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that um, like a little like a little backstory. Like I told you, I'm descended from slaves. Like, cool, fine. And then <laughs> um, you know what you don't know is that like um, so like I'm off, I'm adopted because my and I'm adopted because in the '80s my parents um, were crack addicts and ended up like killing themselves. You know pursuing, you know, their vices. Um, and, you know, here I am born into uh, like a, like a, a, a druggy fam family, um, adopted, you know, I was in the system for a while. Um, I grew up in like not a great area of New York. I went to public school, um, raised by a single mother uh, who had no money for college. And like, thank goodness I'm smart enough to and and thank god for uh uh financial aid um and and i have uh just like slowly slowly continued to work my way forward right um i think that that is a really great example of the american dream that you can literally come from this situation where like I should not have succeeded right um and it is by grace and it is because people like Phil <laughs> um will sit down and have a conversation with me about random things and open my open my mind up to different possibilities and like how things are done differently in the world so then I'm curious enough to go open the book <laughs> or sit on the Googles and look things up. Um, I am um, a product of people seeing potential in me and um, giving me opportunities to, to pursue that potential. Um, I think that, you know, we need more of that. We need, um, and that's what I endeavor to do. I, you know, I want to, and I, I haven't really completely figured out what I'm doing in life, like, you know, <laughs> further than this because I just landed at MSNBC within the last like year or so. But, um, you know, I think that, I think that that is the beauty of America, right? Um, and also the sad part of America is that there's so much potential and so many people don't get the opportunity to realize that potential or to even, or, or, or to even know that they can overcome their circumstances to get there, right? That there are organizations and, and um, people who are willing to um, help you and give you a hand up into a, a new situation. Um, and none of this is easy because nothing is ever easy. Um, but I do think that 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 potential still exists, that we can, uh, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be easy, I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen in the next 20 years, but I think that we can 
fix things so things are better for more of us instead of just the, the, the bit of us that are at the top of the pyramid and making billions of dollars, right? You should not be, you should not have to be born into privilege in order to have a better life in this country. You, you should have, you should have that opportunity the way the country talks about it all the time. And every, those bootstraps that you should be able to pull yourself up by, you should have those. So many communities just don't, right? Um, so I think there's potential. I think we can. I think we can do this. I don't know who we are, <laughs> but I think with a little bit of elbow grease, a lot of bit of elbow grease, um, that we can be better. And I think that the conversations that are starting surrounding this election are the first step to that, right? The realizations that communities, communities that are so different, but are also so similar in what they are interested in, what they fear, and what they want to see happen in this country. So I live in hope. There was a great Irish writer called Brendan Behan and he used to visit America a lot in the 50s and the 60s. And he used to have this great expression and it, you know, it's not really an expression we should be using today with, with, you know, when we talk about disability, but he used to say every cripple has his own way of dancing. And what he means by that is that we, we all have the capacity, we, we all just do it our own way. And he also used to say that you know, we're, all, like, we're all in the same race here, we're just at different paths along, the, we're at different points along the road. And what you're saying there, what, what I've realized over the last 10 years when I'm traveling around the world telling stories like this, I realize how many stories we don't ever get to tell, which is partially why I wanted to go there and go to 50 states because there's so many people who just never put a microphone under your nose and say, tell me, what did you dream of when you were a kid? How did you arrive here? And it is that thing of you know, the greatest sort of sin or the greatest disaster to me, the greatest failing of the human spirit is unrealized potential. And that comes from the fact that I look at my own father who had his own little building company for years and he raised, you know, what I hope is a great family. But I always wondered if, you know, what could he have done in journalism or if he wanted to do that in sports or that kind of thing. And that's the only thing that sort of drives me. And Stephanie, I know who we is. You were saying you don't know who we are. We as people like you and me and, and Anya, we have to go and find those stories and we have to tell those stories and we have to let people know, not that, you know, the, the things are this way or that way. We just have to let them know that there's a better world out there that we can all have, regardless of what the election does, regardless of who's running the place or whatever, because it does come down to us. Eventually, you know, we're the people who put them in the White House, we're the people who put them in Dáil Air and we put them in the, in the British Parliament. Um, you two ladies on very different coasts with very different experiences. It doesn't matter how this turns out. I wish you both the very best. And I look forward to seeing the great things that you're going to achieve under this president and the next president and the next president after that. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah.